Long-time loyal listeners, friends, acquaintances, fellow trapped humans in quarantine, and also dancing co-host across the screen, <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back to this episode of Go Help Yourself, the comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. Yes. Now listen, as you know, this is not a Friday episode. No, no. Behold, this is a Tuesday episode. And on Tuesdays, we don't review a popular self-help book and give you the highs and lows. And uh, Lisa is doing cow horns across from me. Thank you. We do not share with you the main points of a popular self-help book. We renege on our promise to you. And instead, we bring you the weekly beef. Also known nice. as your weekly beef Wellington, uh, which is how it originated many, many moons ago. And this is our time for supplemental self-help content. This is when we check in on homework from the last book that we've read. We try to walk the walk instead of, let's be real, beautifully talking the talk. Thank you. And we explore all the other dark, shadowy corners of the self-help world. Oh Welcome. This, is, this sounds scary. If it's your first time, <laughs> yeah, if, if only we had Sav still and weren't recording in my closet in your kitchen, uh, we could add a spooky sound effect like, <gasps> who knew self-help could be such an intense, titillating ride? Okay, Lisa, <laughs> you assigned me homework <laughs> from... Thank you. Thank you. I did. I call this the loose beef. Thank you. No, never call it that. (laughs) Um, I because we're playing it fast and loose. This is your loosey goosey. I assigned you homework from The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner. And um, you uh, were asked to think about uh, something that makes you angry. Maybe just observe a little bit. Just observe the interaction. Mm -hmm. Did you come to any insights? Yeah. (laughs) There's a thing that happened to me almost a year ago that I am still, and I teased this in the episode. I'm not going to get into specifics because that's my boundary, y'all. And I'm going to be an example of a person who sets boundaries. I respect it. Um, There was a situation Mm -hmm. that occurred that I'm still very, very angry about. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about it in therapy and I'm figuring it out. But my first observation is that just like she describes in the book, me venting my anger about it and continuing to have the narrative around it that I'm angry and this shouldn't have happened and it's such bullshit and, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera, is only serving to reinforce the situation. Mm -hmm. Like it's not making it better. It's not resolving it. And um, I'm observing that it is really hard to let go of my anger around the situation because my anger feels protective. Yeah. And it feels it feels earned and it feeds into my ego of I am right, they are wrong, I am the victim. Well, listen, maybe maybe it's um, not time to move forward on your anger. Maybe it's time to just stay in it. Yeah, and you know, you know, I 
for some reason, I am reluctant to move past the anger to what's actually there. But what's actually there is I trusted someone and they let me down spectacularly. They They not only let me down, they lied to my face multiple times and and pretended there was a safe space or offered a safe space when it was actually the least safe space. And once I discovered that, I mean, emotionally for me in that context, and once I discovered the truth behind the situation, my anger is because I feel like my capacity to make an informed decision was robbed from me. Uh, it, it's yeah. the deceit, the betrayal, you know, all all those feelings of feeling let down and abandoned and deemed not even worthy enough of the respect of the truth of the situation. That's what's hard. So when you find yourself continually getting angry, are you able to kind of stay aware and observe or after the fact observe like, what is triggering the response in you? Like, is there an act? Is there an interaction? Is there something that's coming up? Yeah, I am, but it it then makes me get angry again. That's okay. That's that's the whole point of the observation. Yeah, I find myself currently stuck in a cycle of going like, I'm so angry. And then I go, the truth is, I just am so hurt. And fuck that person for doing this to me, you know? So it's like, and then I get angry again. So it's, that's where I am in the process. And it really has let me know that a major, major, major boundary and belief system was violated. And that's, you know, that's the purpose of anger. So yeah. In accordance with the book, then whenever you're ready, I would encourage you to make clarifying statements about what it is that you, um, need or feel because uh, 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 I think that's at least her, her approach is start taking responsibility and accountability for what you can, knowing that we can't control the actions of others. What is their responsibility and what is yours, right? Yeah. In that particular nuanced situation, it truly was just a person lying to my face. So it's not, it's, it's hard to be like, here's my responsibility. But moving forward, right? Like what, what are the things that you can declare, carve out the I statement for yourself? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, uh, can you give me an example? Yeah. So, cause I did hear you and uh, listen, you're 100% and you can also, you know me, you can stay right where you are for the rest of your life. And I'll be like, yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, Thank you. If Thank you were interested in a- applying what Harriet Lerner had said, because um, I think you said like this person did this to me and um, I feel so betrayed, et cetera. What are the things that you could then clarify like uh, re- with respect to boundaries um, and making them I statements versus, do you see what I'm saying? Like, what are the things that you could carve out for the I would, I'm guessing would be her recommendation. Again, I'm not a person with expertise in family systems and and feminist anger. I'm still not understanding what you're asking me to carve out. I can frame things in I statements of when this person did this, I felt that, but I don't understand what you mean by carving out. So like now when this, when it still comes up, Right. Like when the when the feeling comes up, Mm -hmm. observing like what is triggering that feeling um, and then being able to carve out the I statement for that. So like, is it from 
Um, is, is it from being triangulated by another person and saying to this person, I am being reminded of my hurt from this person when I interact um, with you and see that you are inviting them to events or I am. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Because. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't want to, I yeah. like, don't even want to do that because yeah, I don't even want to do that because then it just opens up uh, more of the anger without getting into specifics. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think just observing, observing it as one step in the process. And, you know, the other thing I'll share with you that I found helpful is my therapist recently was like, I want to move you to, I I want to start moving you to a place of forgiveness. And I really resisted that because I said, no, I will never, I will never say that what happened is okay. This is never something that should happen to another human being from a trusted friend ever. I said, I will never condone that. And she said, well, let's define forgiveness. Yeah. She said, a lot of people think forgiveness is saying, oh, that's o- that was okay. What you did, I forgive you, clean slate. It's totally okay. We can move on. We can repair. And that w- that's my definition of forgiveness. But my therapist actually said that if you look back at the etymology of the word and the Greek roots of forgive, it's actually more along the lines of, I am giving up hope for a better past. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me because that, that doesn't feel like forgiveness. That feels like acceptance. Like, mm-hmm. I accept that this shitty thing happened. I, w- I wish I could change it, but I'm giving up resistance to the fact that it happened. It did happen. Yeah. You know, so that, that felt like a helpful step. And I'd never heard forgiveness defined that way before. Yeah, I think that forgiveness is definitely different than condoning, for sure. Yeah, and in in my mind, I'd never heard the two being separated. Mm-hmm. Because when, when you forgive someone, I've always heard the phrase, it's okay. You know, and it's like, no, it's it's not okay. And I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, that was totally fine. Yeah. That thing that happened. I'm just going to go, oh, this thing happened. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it there and say that observing, observing what's beneath my anger is interesting. It's interesting to see what comes up. And it's interesting to clock the resistance to wanting to let go of the anger. Yeah. Because I don't want to let go of the, the anger. I get I'm it. angry. You don't have to. So... Again, this is just a a very bold highlight of how self-help is not easy. Mm -mm. And this is just like one sentence from one long book, you know, and even putting that into practice is really hard. And this is just the observing part. It's not even the doing part. That's right. And that's why she was like, how do you use this book is very slowly. (laughs) And you're exactly right. Like one sentence out of that whole book is like unpacking this but it makes perfect sense because it's such a huge thing and it's so societally and culturally embedded in us in in so many confusing ways yeah and let me tell you it feels easier to stay angry it feels easier to stay in this pattern because i know what that looks like yeah you know and it it feels like it's holding people accountable although it's not at all holding anyone accountable it's just me seething in a dark closet surrounded by my couch cushions in the middle of a global pandemic. I hope this is not the only place that you ain't get angry. But also, it's also, I think your body is telling you that you're not ready to be done being angry and that's fine. Yeah. 
And the question is, you know, we're coming up on a year since this happened. So, like, maybe on the year anniversary, also I'll be like, fine. oh, look, the anchor's gone. Also fine. Anyway, thank you and no thanks to you for that homework. I love you. <laughs> I will say, I think about it like this. If I was not looking where I was going while I was walking with my phone and holding a hot cup of coffee and actually bumped into you and spilled you, spilled it on you, would you forgive me? Mm-hmm. Would you condone that behavior? I would say I'd prefer if you were more careful, but I know you didn't mean to do this. Right. And if I did it over and over and over again, (laughs) would you forgive Mm -hmm. me? We'd have a talk, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe. It's all the intent. Maybe not until I change my behavior, right? Like, so I think we tend to think about forgiveness as like a binary thing. And I think like anger, it's a process and it's difficult and sticky and uncomfortable and God, I hope she wrote a book called The Dance of Forgiveness. (laughs) Okay. I have a listener email from somebody who's written us before. Her name is Laura. And she says, hello. Hi, Misty. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Laura. I thought about this in particular. She had written us and I wrote her back telling her that we were going to be covering For Love of Men. And then also this book in particular, I wanted to read it with you and, and see if you and I could kind of... Uh, blend it all in. Here we go. She says, is there such a thing as toxic femininity? It would be Mm. people who take the socially accepted characteristics of a woman, mother, all loving, all accepting, pretty and nice, so seriously that they end up being such dicks and hurting other people. Uh She says, I thought about that because I came yesterday, I I came back yesterday from a three-day wedding, little women, that kind of scenario on the countryside. She says, it's a family Mm. that I'm linked to because my parents were friends with them when we were kids. And they came to my sister's wedding in uh, South America. I'm going to be a little vague in some spots just so they can't identify. They needed some people there. So to there I went with an $80 gift. What was I thinking? In parentheses, she wrote. And a tent to put up in their garden. Also very hungry for family closeness since it's been nine months that she's been away in a foreign country. She says, I helped with the decorations and didn't say anything when they asked me if I had lunch. She says, I was either too polite or too embarrassed. And I survived stealing some fruit from the kitchen and accepting some food from other campers. I packed my 50-year-old lady dress because the other one was too red and too sexy to fit in. I washed my head with cold water in the garden because they said that the showers were going to be busy with the bridesmaids and the family which they claimed I was part of, but apparently not the kind of family that gets a warm shower and a meal without having to work for it. I was starving for those things. I was starving for like the closeness and the attention and the familiness. Um, She says, I survived making friends with the other foreigners, three French co-workers of the bride who were so kind to me. And I thought I had it all under control until... After the ceremony, the photographer gathered just the family members. The bride grabbed me by the hand and told me, my dad wants you in some of the pictures. I came along feeling very self-conscious and raw and scared because mingling was starting to feel like a huge task. The photographer said, everyone get in for the first picture, everyone. The dad even brought the dog. And my thought was, well, if the dog is in it, just in case, I reached for his gaze to ask with my eyes if I was in that picture too. And he said softly, come on. I approached the group cautiously and wasn't sure where to stand because they looked like they were doing bride side, groom side. So I looked at the mom and she went, no, not you moving your hand like you do when you shoo the dog. Everyone looked at me. I know. Everyone looked at me and I managed to say, I'm so embarrassed before slowly falling into an unstoppable domino of tears and people coming to me saying, are you okay? 
which is the worst you can say. And I left and scream cried in the bathroom. I didn't, but I wanted to, she said. (laughs) Oh, I so get that. I would have. She says, it took me a while to get out and it, it took a long talk with my best friend who made me laugh and commanded me to drink all their food and eat all their drinks um, and in the party afterwards. And I left the next day with the first people who gave me a ride. She said, to drink all their food and eat all their drinks? That's what she says. She says, I lost track of where I was uh, going with this. Sorry. Not sorry. Thank you for reading. Oh, toxic femininity traits. As I wrote, I rediscovered with horror, I was being a toxic feminist, if that is even ever a thing. I was polite and pleasing and I shrinked myself until I snapped. But also later on, I was talking to my sister about this and she shared with me that every time she was around this family, she felt very weird around the mother. Like she was always being measured against this model of what's expected from a woman that made her really uncomfortable. Thinking back, I prepared for my trip with a lot of fear of being left out if I didn't follow this helpful, stoic, soberly dressed opinions, but about um, no, no controversial opinions you know, meeting my own needs, but nothing requires a lot of hustle. She says the mama bear, someone actually called her that is very loving and understanding and says that you are part of the family while suspecting you of stealing something from their drawer and making it clear that you can have some of their drinks they bought, but it was actually bring your own. That mom of the bride. I hate this dynamic. I know. She says, when you mess up the photograph they had in their mind, they bite. After all the crying that technically ended late at night after dancing with a lovely French guy, I felt relieved and in my own skin. I still felt judged, but I was okay with myself. Next time, I will pack the red dress. And fuck you, Shannon, I guess is the name of the mother, will be my mantra. (laughs) That's not her name, she says. Oh, my God. She says. Oh, that's funny. Okay, good. Fuck you, Shannon, will be my my mantra. She says, "Um, my own mom is like that. Oh, wow. But perhaps that would be toxic mothering. I don't know. Can someone do research on that? I would, but I'm busy working to pay for a therapist. She's great. She says, um... I have one more story to tell you. I met a nice guy from Texas recently who said he was pro-guns over coffee. She said, okay, we can disagree. But when, while they kept in touch over, over video calls, he told her that he was a Trump supporter. She said, all right, we can be friends. And then he ranted about being able, if he wanted to, write Harry Potter better than J.K. Rowling did. And she writes, delete contact. <laughs> So I love her progression. It was like, I, okay, we can disagree. That took, that took a left turn I that know. I did not expect it to take. I know. She said he what suggested if, a new... what if he's right? What if he's an amazing oh, writer? No. He suggested a new earth. And she said, I went back to those chapters in the podcast before buying the book. She's like, I didn't buy the book. Thank you. Um, and she says, and that's about all the positive input of my last date. I think he had read Can't Hurt Me because he kept saying that he didn't want to get too comfortable and he had a thing for ex-Navy SEALs. She says, I didn't want to find out what he thought about women and you never do until it's too late. Misogynists come coated with lots of sugar. She says, but I know how to spot one now. Ask him what he thinks about Harry Potter and you'll see the red flag shooting across the sky. Right. And really, it's just someone on a broom and a Gryffindor cape. Um, that's. Okay. That was a long email, but that thank you. That email took a weird left turn. It did. It took a weird left turn, but thank you for that. That I don't understand someone who's like, I'm a Trump supporter and I can write Harry Potter better than J.K. Rowling. Also read A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Like these don't make sense in my mind. Okay, so uh, my question to you is in light of what we've covered with the For Love of Men and um, The Dance of Anger, what do you think about this idea of toxic femininity? 
yes, I think there is toxic femininity. I am not talking about toxic feminism, of which, you know, feminism is very, very nuanced. Saying feminism is like saying religion. Yeah. There are so many different facets, factors, groups, that sort of thing. And and the feminism of white women can be and is super problematic to uh, a more intersectional feminism mm-hmm. with women of color. So I, I just want to separate the two really quickly. We were talking about femininity here, mm-hmm. not feminism. So femininity being the gender, the constructed set of behaviors and thought patterns expected of um, people who identify as females. Yes. We have learned... You know, this. these thoughts first came into my mind. I have my minor in women's studies uh, from the University of Central Florida. And the first women's studies class I took that asked questions like this blew my mind. So I've been thinking about this stuff since I was in college. And then the last few books, For the Love of Men, The Dance of Anger, and the memoir I'm going to read uh, and share with everybody on the next episode, which really helped solidify a lot of these ideas. Gender roles are toxic. Anytime you say... Yeah male or female, uh, and we are talking about binary heteronormative gender roles in yeah. this moment. Yes, femin- if we subscribe to traditional femininity, we are talking about women putting everyone else's needs above their own, being quiet, not being loud, not taking up too much space, being kind, not being angry, yeah. right? It's all about denying. It's about denying a lot of natural parts of full humanity, which is we get angry. We want to, as little girls, we want to run and play and be loud and get in the dirt and skin our knees and just be focused on ourselves. But we are taught to cross your legs, wash your hair, Think about other people in the room before you. Keep clean nails. Don't be too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, uh, wear lots and lots of makeup. Maybe develop an eating disorder that you stay uh, a certain size or your your value is in how much you disappear into other people. Mm-hmm. What, you, what so you look I, like, yeah. What you what you look like, not what you feel like, and it's what you sound like. And and in order to enjoy a lot of privilege, we starve ourselves or spend a ton of money on microblading and Botox and false lashes and walking a certain way. But that just highlights that it is a set of learned behaviors. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 absolutely toxic. It robs us of our full experience as humans. I agree. And then in just this last book that we covered, I think this idea of the person who's the avoid at all costs anger, the nice lady or the peacekeeper, you know, the consequence of denying your anger is that eventually it will blow up, right? And that you are denying yourself, you're de-selfing, right? Um, and yeah. something that I said in my response to Laura was that, at first glance, it seems that toxic masculinity seems to be projected outward towards others and feminine, Mm -hmm. toxic femininity seems to be projected inward towards the self. Absolutely. And it's, it is really damaging. It's really damaging. We have seen it kill women. Mm -hmm. We have seen, we have seen all sorts of, uh, 
mental illness, eating disorders, alcoholism. If you're mm-hmm. looking to, if you're, mental health, if, if you can't numb the, if yeah, if you can't numb the the inner uh, discontent that you're feeling, mm-hmm. and then we have feelings about those feelings, like why why am I angry? I shouldn't feel angry. I feel guilty. I'm a bad person for feeling this way. Yeah, and then we internalize it. It's it's wildly so. So Laura, what we're saying is, and we, you know, we could go on about this and really start to deconstruct it in like a three hour episode. But I think, and we are not licensed medical professionals. Mm-mm. We are not psychologists. We are not doctors. We're just two very wildly intelligent, observations who are brilliant and pretty, well, and highly paid bitches. Bitches. <laughs> I always now I want to say nice ladies, nice ladies. But yeah, in in my experience, femininity has been toxic for me. I've watched it destroy the health of some of my friends. You know, I, I have friends yeah. who have been in eating disorder treatment programs and and struggled with it and the mental health. And it's I think the more that we read and the deeper we get into this podcast, it's like we all need to make space for the full experience of each other's humanity. Yeah. Always. Men, women, non-binary, fluid. You're so well-spoken. Oh, thank you. Go on. Say more. (laughs) Great. Um, Your voice is delicious. Uh, No, I do also want to say that what we're talking about is different than like mean girl syndrome, which is um, how women and girls behave in groups. And that that aligns more with kind of, I would say, toxic masculinity, that singling individuals out and punishing them. Um, but it is more of a yeah. female trait. But this is this toxic femininity, I think, is about the the staying small, the keeping those traditional things that you were saying about about feminine qualities. Yeah. That's such a good thing. Anytime you anytime you feel like you cannot fully be yourself and you are restricted in some way, whether that's a, a family structure, a gender construct, this idea of femininity, or that you'll be punished or lose something for not conforming yeah. to some standard, that's toxic. Anytime you have to shelve or quiet or hold back part of yourself, as long as it's not hurting others, it's toxic. My friend Misty speaks the truth. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, our new best-selling book, uh, Make Money Off of Your Pain, will be coming out sometime in 2025. <laughs> take a take a look out for it. Uh, and and everybody listening, we're go help yourself podcast at gmail.com. Like write to us, let us know what you think. If you think we're wrong and we're totally missing a point, let us know. And if you've had an experience and you're like, here, this is worth sharing, let us know. Yeah. Um, and we're here for you. And Laura, thank you so much yes, Laura. for sharing your experience and for that super thoughtful question. You guys... What is life? Life is, is abundant. abundant. Good night.
Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at G-H-Y podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye!